When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I am Daniel, we're your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is Seth Partnow of Statsbomb and of The Athletic. And as you could expect, based on the timing, we are talking about the NBA trade deadline and a lot of interesting takeaways here about the moves that did and didn't happen and who are some of our winners and some of our losers are and how it sets up the 2024 offseason is also a, a really important thread of this. So really enjoyed the conversation with Seth. It's brought to you by FanDuel. FanDuel.com slash Boston. New customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. Episode is a little bit less than an hour. Lots of great stuff in here. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks so much for coming on. Daniel, good to speak with you. The trade deadline just passed. We're recording this on on Friday. And I wanted to start with kind of, do you have any big picture takeaways from what did and didn't happen? Um, I, this is not an original thought by me. I saw actually saw a friend of mine uh, put this on on Twitter X, but we're still going to call it Twitter uh, the other day and was noting that uh, it seems like the last two years, even sort of the big in season trades happened early. And I think we saw we've we saw a little bit the same thing this year with Harden and Anobi and Siakam all getting traded, you know, decently far in advance of the deadline. And I think that's meant the trade deadline was active, but with the possible exception of what the Knicks did, not of massive import on, on this year's title chase. Um, I think there were a couple teams that made some, you know, smart around the margins move moves, but it wasn't, you know, there was not a, uh, uh, I don't know, the level of Woj bomb we got was, was not as high as it has been some years, put that way. I mean, one way to describe that is the biggest, the furthest my jaw dropped was Spencer Dinwiddie getting waived, not any of the trades that actually happened. Um, so that's that's an indicator of where things are. And I, I think that a big part of the story is the context that led us down this path. And that context will change in time. But you have a couple of different big forces that I think are, are worth mentioning and for, in some cases worth discussing. So one of them is the most... Let's ah, needy team seems a little bit strong because OKC wouldn't fit this, but a, a lot of teams at the top that could benefit from upgrades just not having the resources to do it. And that's a mix of them owing a ton of picks. That's a mix of them not having the, the financial flexibility in terms of matching salary. And in many cases, it's the limitations of the second apron. Yeah, I, I spent uh, a little I, I spent some time yesterday trying to figure out the the degree of encumbrances on future draft picks and at any given time there's there's 210 picks that are possibly out there for either exchange or swap and and that number you know actually might drop like uh the number that are available for outright right trade might be significantly lower than that for stepping rule reasons. And I didn't get very far with <laughs> trying to calculate how many there were because some of them have been passed around so many times. But I think it's significant. And we've, 
you know, as we've seen over the last three, four, five years, sort of since the end of the the Warriors uh, hegemony, that you know teams have been very aggressive in trading lots of future draft assets and the teams that have done so are largely still the team. Like you mentioned OKC as a, as one exception, but they're largely the teams that should have been quote unquote buyers at the deadline this year. So they already bought their, 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 their shopping was largely done. So you had teams like, you know, the bucks trying to scrounge around with what can we get with uh, some middling second or a couple middling seconds. And, you know, a middling prospect like Marjan Bochamp and some salary. Uh, it's not really a lot to offer. And so that's um, uh, that's one bit of it. And uh, there, there are other aspects I'm sure you're going to get to. Um, I think that, uh, unfortunately, uh, I think there were a couple places where some of the more interesting possible players are were – uh, encumbered, similarly encumbered by sort of internal dysfunction. Sure. Um, and I think we can certainly Chicago, uh, them standing pat was just silly. And I think we, we all have, uh, suggestions that I don't think that would have been our tourists, uh, um, first choice to, would be to have to been to sit everything out out rather than sort of restart and then Atlanta sort of not really understanding where they are and then I might even throw Detroit in there a touch but I mean we can get, well I'm sure we'll talk we'll get to them yeah I, I did we'll get to Detroit um and I think that the the factor that also connects with this and it made the 24 deadline a little bit different is the idea that a lot of the potential traded players are under contract for next year and how that changes things when you think about that in terms of we brought up the encumbrances that other teams have is those two things speak together in the case of let's say DeJounte Murray where if the Lakers were you know if it was more like one first and maybe a swap we don't know the exact and it seems like the Lakers were valuing their own players and everything else and whether Atlanta was holding too firm to the idea of it has to be expiring salary instead of the idea that you can trade somebody like D'Angelo Russell like you it there there are levels of contract badness and everything else and so there were reasons for numerous teams, the Wizards with Kuzma is another example, the, the Blazers with Jeremy Grant, to say, okay, here are the offers that are on the table. We're considering those. And, and I think in some cases, at least based on the public pronouncements, there may have been a little too little shopping. That, that could potentially be the case. But there, there was a realistic and pragmatic assessment to say, and I, I think DeJounte Murray is the easiest way to say this, where we could trade him potentially for more in the summer, even though the teams that we're negotiating with, like usually the idea is you get more early, like with, you know, OG Ananobi and Pascal Siakam, that I thought the Raptors held too long because the teams get them for longer. And so there's more value there for the potential trade partners to have them for an extra postseason and an extra start of the season conceptually. But if the teams that are interested can, let's say in the case of like the Mavericks for certain guys and the Lakers for some guys, they can only trade one first now. And in, if, unless you burn those first, you can trade three in a couple of months. Well, then you might you might not get three, but you might get two. I think the other side of that to look is, I mean, the, the balance between when to trade and when not. And sometimes where it's just like, OK, well, that's the best we're going to get. Um, I, it's not quite the same thing, but I think um, 
the way I thought you were going with this with the players under contract is sort of the outgoing salary sure. under contract. And I think that um, ah, one of the moves that low-key did not make a ton of sense to me was uh, for Charlotte, the Gordon Haywood trade. I think for a team in their situation, I could easily argue they got negative value for Hayward's expiring contract. Like they didn't um, – uh, between the the you know the money that's owed to Bertans next year and uh, and Michich, who I is he an NBA player? Is he an NBA player worth paying that amount for for a team in Charlotte's situation? Is that enough to balance out what potential there might still be in Trey Man? I I didn't love that. And so there are situations where like letting a guy walk for nothing is not actually the worst thing that can happen. For sure. And there's also, and even if you lose that, the leverage, like there, there is something and Charlotte's notable for this. Miles Bridges situation is different for myriad reasons, but there's also the possibility that you could sign and trade that player, depending on the structure, you could, could get something on the back end. And, and for Charlotte, it's been a big criticism of mine for various teams over the last couple of years where they got paid a pretty weak premium for how much money they saved the Thunder. And it's so funny because I've criticized the Thunder for that a lot over the years, the Thunder and then the Wizards in the Marvin Bagley trade, which was before the like deadline day, but was still within the kind of like window where they got a pretty weak return for saving the Pistons $12 million for next year on a player who's definitely not worth that. And, you know, his place on a good or a bad team is, is somewhat in question. And so from Charlotte's perspective, there is also like the fascinating part of shifting, let's call it $20 million. It's probably a little bit less than that's probably more like 18 from OKC to Charlotte for next year is OKC functionally went from being acting like an over the cap team, which they still could do to being a cap space team. And Charlotte now they could still wield cap space depending on what happens with bridges, but like they might function as an over the cap team. So it's not even a circumstance of like, like why I brought up the wizards with Bagley where, Oh, it doesn't make that much of a difference to us. It really helps you, but it doesn't, it doesn't make things that much worse for us. And sometimes those situations, you get a lower return just because it doesn't, the Delta for you isn't that big, but for Charlotte, like I liked a lot of the other things they did. It was weird. I mean, yeah, it's 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 weird because like you, you you're you're talking about that trade finan- primarily as financial. I I mean, as crafty a uh, 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 cap sheet operator as Sam Presti's been, I sort of think that the more impactful bit now that they are you know one of the teams that I think that they're they that they are certainly a conference finalist contender. I sure. mean, we may. Given their lack of playoff experience, especially uh, in the in the in the case of Shea Gilders Alexander, the the lack of playoff experience as a number one guy, um, you know, they they might be a long shot for for real postseason success this year. But I think Hayward is a guy who. Uh, if healthy, really potentially helps them quite a lot. And they, like I said, they le- they traded basically nothing from their current rotation and bad money. So uh, again, give or take your 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 uh, a prognostication on Trey Mann going into the last year of his rookie deal. There's also you you brought up Misich, the idea that like I think having competent backup point guard play for Charlotte is valuable, but did it have to be him or could you have gotten somebody else? I mean, I don't know who the next whole Neto is, but like, you know, get a get a the one of the more talented minimum guys, or in the case of Charlotte, maybe pay a little bit extra. They have cap space. They also have the room exception for next year if they're going that route. And so I, I think having a player who can fill that role is useful. Not having it was a big problem for them this year. But 
I that mean, is something different. That's that that maybe this is getting into some other teams, but I it's hard for me to think that addressing their the backup point guard position for a team that <laughs> has only won 10 games because they've low key been one of the most overperforming clutch teams this this season. Um, a stat I've been tracking is they have not won a single game that did not uh, reach the clutch this year. They are, I believe, entering tonight's game against Milwaukee. They're 0-26 in games that have never been in clutch situation. They haven't won a game by more than seven points. All of which, I and they have the 30th net rating in the league and so on and so forth. All of which uh, seems to say, like, making a move to shore up your back point, backup point guard position, sort of like making a move to get a reasonably okay swing forward shooter for a 32nd or 31st pick if you're on track to win yeah. under 20 games I, like what I was going I was going to say it's kind of like getting a nice backyard set when you are, are have a severe like mudslide or landslide risk or it's like yeah it might be nice to have but you might not have you might it might not matter for long yeah it's and so it's it's and and that's all that's in contrast to me with I thought the I thought that they did very well in the other trade they made um with with the the um, you know Grant Williams who I think is a pretty good candidate to to rehab some value given that he's been a pretty good player over his career and there's the obvious like had off season surgery and was never in shape and and this season and that's the kind of thing that you know that that, that's the thing that we've seen resolve itself as well as as a potentially very good first round pick given the timing uh Mm -hmm. for pj washington a player for for whom uh the idea has always been a little bit better than the reality i wanted to ask you about that it was something i dwelled on with nate when we recorded after the deadline of that that pj washington to me there was this idea years ago that oh you know he's a talented offensive player he's a he's a good shooter if he could ever defend the five and what has happened since then is we got a lot more information that he can't defend the five, at least with the ecosystem with Charlotte, I would be, you know, maybe if you had a lot better defenders around him, you could, could do things differently. And then he's also been a worse shooter the last couple of years. And so for me, it's weird to have a, a young player, like a player this young, be somebody who's past is overrating their present but i think it's true with him i think that's right though i mean to, you balance that by uh and this was this is something that i that i sort of have applied to hayward too there's a little bit of like of sort of boris Diaw potential whether it's <laughs> just being being in a better ecosystem or or playing in real games again or both that you know maybe maybe we see something maybe we see something different just from a uh, I don't want to say a motivation, but just from a, you know, ready, focused, do the right things and good things will happen. Uh, I don't think there's a lot of returns uh, right now for, uh, you know, a, a you know, a third, fourth, fifth option type in, in Charlotte. Like, there's not a lot of play the right way return. Well, it, it, it's the, it's, <laughs> I mean, right you now. think back, to, wasn't there that stretch where it was like, just get, just get some of the players who were like lower on the Kings. This is when the Kings were bad. And like, they may end up working out for you. Like, just buy low on all of them and just see if any of them, if any of them can hit. There, there have been, and Charlotte has incidentally been one of those teams over the years. And with Washington, like I brought up that he's been shooting worse the last couple of years. He is going to get the cleanest three-point looks of his career over the next six months. And we will get a much simple. We'll get a, a much more open 
understanding of, well, how does he work in that sort of a circumstance? Because, I mean, we saw it with Grant Williams and who had been in, who'd been a reasonable offensive circumstance with Boston, but like playing with Luca, playing with Kyrie, if you're a front court player who can shoot, you will get those opportunities. And, and Grant has shot the ball okay this year. I think it's been his defense that's been more the problem. And again, for a guy who is sort of undersized and tends towards the 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 thicker side, like being you know, not, not really ever being in shape this season, I think was, was pretty much a, 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 a did a, went a long way towards torpedoing uh, that move. And, and it's funny because like, there's been stuff kicked around. Oh, they got off of that awful Grant Williams contract. And you look at it and it's like, well, he's making like mid-level, maybe slightly below money for the next couple of years. And it's like, you know, it's not going it, to, it, it's not going to take that much kind of return to form for that to, that to look much better. Um, and it's, again, especially, it's Especially, especially if you put him in a scheme where his, you know, what it seemed like part of what happened with Dallas was there was an incongruity between what they wanted their capable defenders in the front court to do and what Grant Williams is good at. Whereas Derek Jones Jr. was a much more natural fit. Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, what they're actually trying to do defensively is, (laughs) you know. Oh, I mean, oh, Seth, do you want to talk about Jason Kidd's coaching and philosophy? Is that is that I I I do not. So let's go to Detroit. We it came up a little bit earlier. Uh, they they traded. I mean, it, it felt like at one point they had fifty guys on their roster. Um, they eventually waived enough guys to make everything work logistically. Uh, um, Weaver the waiver. Yes. And so they the biggest move that they made was the one with the Knicks, where they traded Bogdanovich and Alec Burks to the Knicks for Quentin Grimes, the young player return. They got some seconds, and then they got more, I would say, in the realm of salary filler with Malachi Flynn, Archie Diacono, and Evan Fournier. That's one element of what they did. But then they also brought in Simone Fontecchio for a legit second-round pick. Uh, how, are you, how are you feeling about their overall deadline performance? Yeah, it's it, yeah, it's bad. Um, I, and this, I say this as someone who has liked Quentin Grimes— and when the trade that trade, I mean, it's funny because that trade had to be for 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 cap reasons had to be technically two separate trades. Mm-hmm. That it, it said it first sort of came out that it was like Grimes and 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 the pick for for Burks. So I was like, hey, I like that. And then it's like, oh, and the other half is Boyan Bogdanovich for nothing. And it's, I mean, for the team that probably has the worst combination of talent and asset base in the league, or is there or thereabouts the fact that they managed to come out of the deadline i think not necessarily worse but not improved on either front is is staggering to me i'm intrigued by what fontecchio could do for them i've been very into the way that he's helped the jazz just by having competence at the three and that could be good for the pistons but they have so many other problems that w- yeah. how, how much and will it really change things and let, let me can i this is an argument that people like i kind of lost my mind a little bit about about this trade in particular just because it's it's just like this is a classic example of situational value in that if the phoenix suns had made this exact same trade i would love it uh, <laughs> and the the or if the phoenix suns or you know the the lakers or or the bucks or you know pick a pick a team that that is kind of you know even the nuggets like i would be i, I was like yes that is the kind of trade in it but it just shows such a a uh complete 
I don't want to, is ignorance the right word? Lack of understanding of where you are? And then the fact that you're saying that, oh, well, they needed a solid environment around which to judge, you know, all of their young players. This is a guy who's 28-year-old, he's second year in the league, he's played eight, 90 NBA games, and that's going to be your context setter as you're, you know, a guy who's a reasonably competent swing forward who's probably more of a four than a three, if we're being honest. That's the guy who you think is going to provide this context for you to judge, you know, and it, it, it might improve the context you're working with, which begs the question of what, how, what, what, what did you put together in the first place? Yeah. Well, and, and, so and that, that was the, to me, the, the biggest thing. And I harped on this in various places, including in a Duncan Prime mailbag or where our Discord chat, where I don't think, I think Troy Weaver had a reasonable deadline, better than I expected when, when you consider the moral hazard involved. I, and, I and do not. But go ahead. Yeah, but he still shouldn't have been doing it, and he should still not be running the Detroit Pistons after this. And the risk of somebody like that who built something so disastrous getting more opportunities to make decisions for you is just something that you can't you can't abide by. I mean, I think that that our our, our friend at the Athletic, uh, James Edwards, reported that they had a that they had something on the table for Isaiah Stewart, didn't they? I believe he did, and it was, that. and it was, and it was just, uh, and it was, it was. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm confusing someone offering a trade for like <laughs> as, as sort of all of my like all of my pet peeves, but they, them having a, an offer on the table for Killian Hayes before the season, and Monty Williams shutting that one down, which you know. The guy who's you, 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 the guy you play over your. It, it's just it's 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 hard to disentangle. The whole thing is just a mess there, and also like my op, like to some degree, this goes against my 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 usual tactic of I would like to judge moves in and of themselves, but it's sort of hard in a situation where like the best thing you can say for some of these moves is increasing the optionality for a group that I think has consistently picked poor or worse options. So it's almost a negative. Uh, I mean, you hope that you're creating those options for someone else. But like one thing that I feel a little bit better about with the Pistons is I don't know exactly how the alchemy is going to work with Grimes, Cade Cunningham, and Jaden Ivey. Not saying those three have to play together as a three-man unit all the time, but at least like you get a little bit of a different look. They have somebody who can do point of attack, who's lower usage, who can hit some threes. And Grimes fell out fell out of the rotation in the Knicks. And at first I was a little bit outraged, but Dante DiVincenzo outplayed him and was better for for what the Knicks needed specifically. I mean, so he's, he's been hurt and didn't go to Villanova. So, you know. Sure. That's, <laughs> that's, a, that's a concern as well. And so yeah. I, I think that there is a chance that Grimes will work out. And I, I think that they need more rolls of those kinds of dice than the Kevin Knox's, the James Wiseman's of the world, which have been such a staple, uh, such a staple of the Troy Weaver regime is like second draft guys who just straight up sucked after their first draft. And there may be context like I mean and with Wiseman it was like also they give up Sadiq Bey in that deal not that he's had a great year by any stretch of the imagination but yeah I mean the Pistons the Pistons are a disaster the people who made a disaster ideally would no longer be making those decisions but alas and where where I think plenty more to discuss but first a message from FanDuel happy Super Bowl to all who celebrate from FanDuel America's number one sports book if you're like me, Super Bowl Sunday is all about scoring the best seat on the couch, grabbing your favorite football snacks, and placing some super bets. 
especially for me as someone who grew up in the Bay Area who is a 49ers fan. I'm extremely excited about that. And of course, there are a lot of great player props. And I I don't know if I'm more optimistic or realistic, but I'd, I'd love for the Niners to do well. And of course, there's always the fun. You can bet on the length of the national anthem and all sorts of other great stuff. FanDuel has so many ways for you to end the season with a W or two or three. Not only can you bet on who will win Super Bowl 58, but FanDuel also has bets for which players will score a touchdown, how many points will be scored, and so much more. New customers join today and you'll get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. Just visit FanDuel.com slash Boston to sign up. That's FanDuel.com slash Boston. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or over and present in select states. FanDuel is offering sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as a non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 533 533- Four two in Arizona one eight eight seven eight nine seven 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 or ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut one eight hundred nine with it in Indiana one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call. 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. Another, to go to basically the opposite end of that continuum, the, the Thunder brought in Gordon Hayward mm-hmm. and they theoretically have cap space. I don't know if they're going to use that to actually spend it they could stay over there are a lot of things they could do but it did bring attention to just the unusual circumstance that they are in where they are not only one of the youngest teams in the league they are one of the best teams in the league and they have a significant amount of team control on their most important players moving forward the question i have for you is how do you navigate this next step where they they have a ton of resources, though they don't have a ton of truly premium ones if they're keeping, you know, their best young players and if they're keep because they don't have like, I mean, it doesn't look like that Houston pick that they got, which is top four protected is going to be like six or something like that. Do you identify a need and go after go after a player? Maybe you even like overpay to get the perfect player for that, sort of like the Bucks did with Drew Holiday? Or do you see how things play out? Do you just bet on talent and just hope that you can shake out like the, you know, the, the niches and the archetypes? Um, so I like the I like what they did with 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 Hayward uh, in that I wish they had found their way to do something like the Celtics did for Xavier Tillman. Sure. Um, I think I think that I, I I don't think I would be in huge support of them making a huge splash big move just because I do think you need to see what this team that with their current approach looks like in a postseason run. And that's everything from what does Shea look like as a, as a number one guy? 
where is Chet relative to that? How does sort of the the mid ball with this group, you know, with the 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 the, the, the multiple Williams they have and Gilders Alexander and and how well does does Josh Giddy fit in with that? Does he continue to fit in with that? Um, uh, you know, I think I do think I would want that bit of information. And it's un- unfortunate. This is maybe a criticism you could you could have lobbed back. And 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 my podcast partner Moda Keel has brought this up. Like they might have been better. They they probably would be in a better situation vis a vis this year's playoffs had they made the playoffs last year, just so they could have gotten that look at Shea. But at the same time, I'm not going to like bang on them for not like uh, you know coming into the season and not saying yes, Chet Holmgren is going to be an All Star and we will. Uh, and he, he's not, he did not. I see. He still. I still would say is going to be an All Star, an All Star caliber impact. Yeah, sure. yeah an All Star and the All Star caliber impact. Like you know, you may have been sixty percent sure of that coming into the season. You're ninety percent sure of that now, and I think that difference is material. And so moves that they might have made had they had the same level of knowledge this year. Like I don't think I don't think it's fair to say they should have done that. Um, so I think that like not going out and making a big splash, like we're going to trade a, a crap ton of draft picks that, you know, we're going to trade everything that isn't nailed down for Mikhail Bridges or something like that. As, as tasty as that team would be, you also kind of need to know that, you know, that, that uh, your number one and two guys are at, are at, or reasonably soon be at the level of being playoff number ones and twos to to make that sort of expenditure of capital worth it. I do wish they had they had put some more clubs in the bag for playing different ways and in particular just getting a big body, like a competent big body because yeah. I think that that they're just going to if it's, you know, I think they go in against a I think they're drawing close to dead against a healthy Denver team in the playoffs. I'm definitely concerned. And I think that for the for on that on that front, I'm not concerned about the Thunder basically any other front. And I the the general conceit of what you said I think is really on point where they have a lot of resources, but they also need to learn a lot about what they're doing because it's extremely rare. Like when I mean, we talked about how rare it is for like a just put together team to compete. What's even more rare for a young team to compete at a high level. Usually it's the crawl, walk, run idea, and the Thunder are better than the average young team, but playoff experience matters. I mean, Shea, as we're, I mean, Shea Gilders Alexander has played 450 playoff minutes, and the most recent of those occurred in, I believe, it was April of 2020. So it's been a while. And he wasn't this guy then, obviously. He actually had a pretty rough series in that in that playoff series. And for the Thunder, it's even more important because they run things a little bit unconventionally. And so we also, we may not get this in a small sample. Hopefully they make it far enough in the playoffs where this becomes relevant. But we kind of need to see if the theory of the case works. Because how does a series of like drives, drives and passes out, playing the sports, chasing at the five, how does that work with playoff officiating? How do these players work with like the the shifts in coaching and in personnel and taking away more transition? Because the Thunder have been good in, in those respects. Does it work as well as it has in the regular season? Is it a the kind of the common degradation, or is it something more extreme for them? Because if it's more extreme for them, that's something they may have to address with some of their resources. No, I think that's right. I think that that, that that's the right way of putting it. And it's it's a, it's you know. Um, as you say, like like in the last, I don't know how far long you want to put it, like like the really young, inexperienced teams that have run to the finals are 
the first Warriors title team and the Suns team that 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 made the finals. And and I think fair to say a caught some breaks and also added Chris Paul. <laughs> sure. You know, so so those are the two examples. It's like an all time great team and, you know, a team that 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 I think was a a. A slightly unique amalgamation of of kind of up and coming talent and and uh, a playoff experience. So sure. and so, yeah, just just seeing if you know, in particular, seeing if if um, you know Shea in particular has the the versatility as a scorer, as a creator, to you know see the third, fourth, fifth wrinkle that gets thrown at him and have and have and have him still be able to perform. We don't know, like I. My guess is it'll probably work, but you don't know until you know. And again, and again, I wouldn't want to start throwing, you know, as many picks as they have. I wouldn't start like wanting to to start throwing four, five, six of them around before I knew that. And and also, like frankly, I don't even like before I knew what I needed to complement whatever the weaknesses turn out to be in this postseason. Especially with the fluidity of some of their defensive positional stuff. Like, I, I've been thinking about this that, like, if I were running the Thunder right now, one of the elements that I would be at least considering, depending on Degnault and everything else, is you don't bring in, like, a you like high level high level player to fill one of their things you get a couple of different bites of the apple so like one of the theories I had is like a point of attack defender a bigger wing you know who can defend the Kawhis of the world and all that type of stuff that could be Lou Dort but maybe you want eventually a better Lou Dort in in those circumstances kind of like the Grizzlies intended and have not succeeded with replacing Dylan Brooks but that sort of an idea and then the other context so I mean the evaluation is is central here is that the the Thunder have a few years before their team gets really expensive but they only have a few and so theoretically whether it's using that 35 million or so in cap space or trading for players or doing whatever like you can't unless ownership is totally amenable you can't just throw everything in get like a I'm using an example, but like Zion Williamson and then be like, oh, well, we're just set from here on out because it's like, well, then are you is everyone involved pulling pulling the lever to be a high level tax team in three, four years? Now, maybe by that point they've won a title or two or maybe they're in the mix at that point. But this is the exact issue, though it was different. It was a different situation. That was part of what killed the Thunder with the Harden Westbrook Durant years is that they saw the writing on the wall, were a little bit too preemptive, and in that case, the circumstances changed and it would have been okay. But there's a lot that you need to have on board before you make that kind of a commitment. That's right. What other uh, what other team situations stood out to you? I mean, one that I wanted to ask you about because you're not as geographically proximate to it is the Warriors, where they could have done a lot of things. I expected them to do very little. They ended up doing very little. I think, I mean, I just think they're done. I'm sorry. I don't, <laughs> that's fair. maybe that's, that's just, I like, I think that, that honestly, their window to do stuff was last year. And, um, you know, uh, they, I, I did hear that they had some ideas out there that just kind of got, that ran into the morass of the, of the non moving teams. Yeah. I um, mean, there, there's reporting from Casey Johnson that they at least talked about Caruso. I mean, that, I, I mean, it's, yeah, not, I don't think there, there's rumors that I don't think we can report on, on what the deal actually like was. And if the rumors we've heard of true, it seemed like a pretty, it seemed like a pretty reasonable idea for both sides. So I think that like the Warriors are just at that stage where, like as good as Kaminga has been for the last month or so, there's still just the fact that that 
Clay Thompson and Draymond Green and I think under the radar, but as importantly, Kevon Looney have just sort of sure. aged out. And, and they uh, don't have and they don't have enough replacements, especially with Wiggins well, playing and, as poorly and, as he's done. And you done. guys, you guys in the Bay are spoiled by you know having the full decade of because you, the, usually the like um, you know the Bucks have had. Uh, I was actually having this conversation with Eric Name this morning. Is is the 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 Bucks have entered the stage of the Roman Empire where they're sort of you know with the Pat Beverly trade. I was driving in to have coffee with him, and there's a big "Welcome Pat Beverly" uh, billboard up on 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 Pfizer Forum, and and it was sort of like this is the uh, Roman Empire uh, paying the Goths to uh, tra- turn around from de- to, from invading the borders to defending the borders uh, stage of, of a team, and that's sort of what happens after about a team is 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 had five six years as a contention level team is they get hollowed out, and they're sort of. You know, they're the never ending string of, of ring chasers, basically. And the Warriors, in large part, because of the uh, first, because of, of the Durant situation, were able to regenerate themselves the first time. And then, like, uh, the somehow pulling uh, all star level Andrew Wiggins and a draft pick out of <laughs> adding D'Angelo Russell, like, let them extend it another couple of years. That's unusual. And it, it is, and and it's and like I mean, there is a lot of lamentation about like the the opportunities that went by, like James Wiseman, you know, having the number two pick in that draft and getting basically nothing for it. But they had a lot of luck, just like they you know to to build it and to sustain it, just like pretty much any championship team has. I mean, you could even go back like. I remember when I was working on my book, like I was going through like transaction history stuff. And it was like those some of the stuff that you when you like of our way, we look back on like the trades that Red Auerbach did. And you're like, how is this? How did this exist? Yeah, um, I think that uh, really the, the the lamentation is like eat not either moving or developing uh, Kamingo, but especially uh, Moses Moody more last season. Mm-hmm. And I know I've harped on this, but it's it is um, for a player that that I st- I still think has some some uh, some potential to be something like the way they have uh, they have just conspired to to really get nothing out of a guy who, you know, has a skill set and position that should have value. Both it should have been of help to them, but even if they decided he wasn't for whatever reason, like I think it's fair to say that under Steve Kerr that it does take a a certain kind of 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 feel level feel level of a player to successfully perform in that system. Even if they felt he wasn't that um you know, a a long wing who can shoot and defend. Uh, it's, you know, there, there's guys who can only do that in theory that got at minimum, you know, multiple decent seconds over the last couple of years. So uh, not even being in a position to, to do that and now going into an offseason where they're going to have to make decisions on on extensions and stuff like that is I, I feel like uh, they're, they're going to rue that situation um and then i think that they're probably if i'm reading the tea leaves they're going to probably talk themselves into kaminga being a, a whole lot more than what he is as as nice it, as it, the last little run has been for, for him it, it seems almost inevitable and and one of the real hallmarks of the lake abira is they're op- like they have this like small market young optimism on their young guys and then they're and then it works out sometimes it doesn't work out sometimes and and that is a, a challenge because it's part of why the two timelines thing was always so was such a weird gambit is because 
you uh, you weird generally is not the word I'd use, but go on. It's it's too hard to be good in one timeline, much less two. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and so having you know, and, and you're, there are always going to be misevaluations in talent and everything like that. And Steph Curry bridges gaps in ways that very few players well, in history have. I'll also say there's probably a little bit of of high unknown supply from uh, you know, all right, it was it was bold and ballsy to no Clay Thompson's going to be really good actually. If you remember, like I I was certainly someone who thought they were crazy for not trading for not being willing to include clay in a trade for kevin love i, and I think they would have and i think they, they still they would have been pretty but like the fact that you know clay developed into one of the you know you know in some ways you could describe him as the best three and d player of this era and i think that's probably selling his offensive game a, a touch short but uh or, or even more than that, given like you know the, the the level of explosiveness that he had, that that you know even if on a game to game basis he might get he might never average you know twenty eight or something like that. The fact that the odd you know twenty five point quarter was still around <laughs> in, in in key playoff situations, nice thing to have around. Like the fact that that worked out the way it did, you almost wonder if it's like, well, we did it once, we'll do it again. <laughs> though very fair, even though it's like, okay, yes. Yeah, the 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 you got the one black swan and now you think that that in your pond it, black swans just alight it's 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 a it is a question that we're, we're i mean presumably going to have a, a longer time to evaluate even though bob myers isn't there anymore joe lakeup's going to still run the warriors and we'll see what happens with kerr but how how this philosophy changes over time as the as the franchise like turns over will be something worth watching Last question I wanted to ask you. It's a little bit of a thought experiment. Uh, let's take us back in time to the the OG and Anobi trade, I think, was December 30th. So, But we'll say kind of that is the deadline window. So it's a little bit more than a month. What teams, and you can factor on court stuff as well, but you fa- factor in whatever you want. Do you think have had the biggest delta in terms of how you feel about the franchise in a positive or a negative way since, since then? Franchise? Like so, how good they are, where they're going, all that type of stuff. I mean, I think I mean, it's, you just, I don't know how you say anything other than the the Knicks are the most improved team from the start of the season till now. I mean, I, I, I and I've I've been I've been pretty bullish on the the decision making in the Leon Rose era of the Knicks to begin with, and uh, I think that's only continued uh, through this deadline. They were able to get, you know, to, to get OG and Anobi, and it seems like even though nothing is ironclad, to to have him be able to transform th- transform things to the extent, and unfortunately he has this elbow surgery, it, that, that's that been huge. I mean, the Jalen Brunson identification and acquisition, even if there were some forces that helped that happen, it still did happen, and they valued him more than the Dallas Mavericks did, and they were 100% right, and the Mavericks were 100% wrong, and from the like from the Knicks perspective the other thing that I've been wondering about is like you brought up the decision making that has been there and they've done some nice work in terms of asset management as well is does this sufficiently set the table for a next step whatever that is whether that is you know bringing in another really good player like somebody who can step into a a larger role offensively defensively or both or is it you know some restructuring with the things that you have left. Like I'm interested to see what these decision makers do from here. So first of all, like I, speaking of decision making, I, I, I want to laud them in, in one area because I think, you know, we've talked about teams sort of overvaluing their own guys a lot. And 
I think I like Quentin Grimes. I think Quentin Grimes is a good player. I think the Knicks uh, correctly sort of uh, surmised that, you know, it's the way it's worked out. Like he is kind of surplus to what we're doing here. We like him uh, right now. I mean, we could between Josh Hart and Dante DiVincenzo, Gonova, uh, <laughs> like there's just there isn't just really a path for him to become. So let, let's turn that into I think two very reasonable, you know, playoff rotation pieces in, in, in Burks and Bogdanovich. And I think Bogdanovich is especially important, not just for the postseason, but I think for the next X number of weeks while they're shorthanded in the front court. So I think it, it works. So they're they're a team that they can I mean they're uh what are they are they tied for, for third and east and they're they're pretty close to second. They could easily find themselves in the second seed. And this is you know, we're you're you're talking about like, you know, what do they do next? Uh they might make the finals next. Like, let's not. It's, it's, <laughs> I think, it's possible. Do you I mean the conference finals or the NBA finals? I think the that, NBA I, finals. The wow. NBA finals. Like they. I mean, as of right now, I think they're the second most likely team to come out of the East. Whew. It's it's reasonable. I mean, especially with the with the Joel. I, I mean, and, that, that that's that's you know, I I. There there are other contenders, but there are other done, contenders. They've they've they, played I, better than everybody, and I mean, the Cavs are a weird. Uh, I've used weird way too much in this podcast. Um, they're the Cavs are an unusual situation. Yeah. Um, I don't. And, I mean, I don't think we. I think that that we don't trust the Cavs. I think we're gonna have to. The Cavs are for definitely some in, reason. Um, but I think I think they're, the Cavs have too many. They got to prove it in the playoffs. Important players. All all. I'll echo you on the Knicks, and I'll do one on the negative end. The Mavericks took on a lot of downside risk, or as I often yes. phrase this, disaster potential for a very modest upgrade. A lot of, I mean, I, you know, we, so like the, the picks that they, that they encumbered going out were a top two 2027, right? In the, in the, uh, the, uh, PJ Washington deal. The PJ Washington trade, right? Uh, and and um, twenty twenty seven is it, it, like if Luca decides to force a trade, like his contract ends in twenty seven, so it would have been like a year earlier. So maybe that's the year after they've traded him. Also, they did uh, like have have again. Have we seen any reporting on there being any protections on the pick swap they did with OKC in twenty eight? I haven't seen any specific pronouncements either way, but. I believe that considering all the forces involved, if there were real protection on that pick, it would already be known. So, and that's the year that after which Luca could have just uh, uh, walked. And that was, that was sort of the price for getting the pick that they used to add Daniel Gafford, who's a player I like fine, but is, is, would you say wholly duplicative with Derek Lively? Largely. And, and, Having another capable center will really help them, but does that make them, you know, does that win them around in the playoffs? Probably not. It doesn't put another club in the bag, though. No. Again, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, you it, okay, it, make, fine, it makes get... sure it, it like to use a, a Zelda analogy that I won't do perfectly. It like it makes the weapon more durable. It doesn't give you a new weapon. Yeah. Um, not... But so, but the other, the other wild part of this is that the Mavericks have now negotiated pick swaps with arguably the two the two franchises that you would least want to have pick swaps with five years down the road. The San Antonio Spurs, because they have the most exciting young player in the league, like super young player in the league right now, and the Oklahoma City Thunder, who have the best young core in the league right now. And also um, one of the uh, more astute asset manager GMs, I think. It's sort of like when the this is some of this is we don't really know how much of this is this is a narrative forming by the order in which stories come out versus the order in which they actually happened. But certainly the reporting as deadline day went on was 
they had the light, the, uh, the, the Gafford trade worked out and then, oh, and they're still trying to work out how to get the draft compensation they need to make that trade with the thunder. And it's like, oh, so, uh, you're gonna, you're gonna give away leverage in negotiating draft pick, uh, trades with Sam Presti and, and hope that works out well for you. It, it, it has well, a, it has a poor track record. Yeah. And, 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 you know, maybe, maybe that's just a function of, of it's, it's sort of like the, um, you know, this is this is something that comes up more, I would say, in free agency every year, where sort of the order in which deals get announced sort of affects our opinion of them. When in actuality, like, not to suggest there's tampering going on in this establishment, but like, it, it's it's all been worked out. So it's not like there's a there's a, a cascading sequence. So having already done that, why is that the next? Thing like, like, like well, Mitchell it, Mitchell Robinson wrong. Mitchell Robinson came out, I believe, after Hartenstein. And you're like, what? And then it was because part of the reason. Robinson got so much was because they could keep his low capital. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, so I think that I, I mean, and you know, I don't think that this what they did does it is it really needle movie in terms of where they are this year? I mean, I guess we can expect PJ Washington to be better than what Grant Williams has been this year, but are they Grant Williams being good this year from being like good and dangerous? I don't think so. I, I think yeah. they're. I think they're further out. And even though the West is murkier than that it has been at times, and like we don't, there are a couple teams towards the top that we don't have a lot of trust in. The idea that, like, I, I use the phrase "defining success" a lot. And for Dallas, I think there is a distinct chance that they win a round in the playoffs this year. And for a team that is. 16th in net rating right now though there is injury context in a few uh, that that matters here that's actually kind of high praise when you consider how strong numerically the top of the west is but does winning one round and losing in the second and having that kind of be maybe like that's the kind of level of team that i think dallas is setting up for the next couple years is that enough to satisfy their their like luca and the other players who matter here it could be but historically it hasn't been yeah i mean I'm just I I I am not uh, not sanguine. Yeah, about, they're, about like they're Dallas doing is, they're doing a lot of things that poorly run teams do. I mean, the, and, and 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 I think this gets to it is that each like each trade each move they make is like okay that's that's that makes sense except for detail X Y Z and then the next move they make is like so to address that detail and then they so it, it's sort of like they're, they're you know it's very much like you know a fingers in the dike situation where like they 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 plug up one hole and open up another but hey we're <laughs> we're, we're compromised in different ways and it's it it to in, in what. In, in sort of service of what oh like as an end as an end, as an end product okay well I know your your time is very valuable I will thank you so much for coming on the show yeah it's, I, I, I the, thanks a lot and I guess that the, the one thing you you're saying that the West is murky I don't think the West is that murky for honest well, I think you, there's I, I think what for me what it is is that there aren't that many teams at the top that I totally trust either for health reasons or for we, no, we, we we trust the Nuggets and Clippers and are intrigued by the Thunder and the Wolves are good, but we don't trust them in the playoffs because of their because of, you know, both their roster and uh, who some of their key players are and everyone else. I mean, maybe this is being dismissive of the Suns, but everyone else kind of doesn't matter. <laughs>
Is it, that, will, it, I, it will take a lot for them to matter. Yeah. And like pl- play and development. And, and especially, it's very different to do this evaluation 50 games in than to do it preseason because yeah. we've gotten a lot more, even with the Suns where Bradley Beal missed a whole bunch of the season. We, we still, I, I mean, if a team is going to blow me away, they probably have done it by now. No, and I think, I, I mean, I think we've talked about, you know, it being murky all season. But if you step back and look, like there are three teams we trust in the league right now to, and, you know, level of trust aside from Denver in, in the Clippers and Celtics is understandably like, you know, with an asterisk, but you know, uh, like that's the bar. Like, can you reach that level in the postseason? If no, then, you know, then what are we doing? And some of the other teams like clearly have that level of play in them. It's just, we're skeptical for various reasons, whether it's health, whether it's sort of offense, defense balance, whether it's coaching, um, that, you know, uh, that any of like sort of five other teams or, and or, or in Philadelphia's case, every single one. Oh no, I was going to say Philly's case, every one of them, but the Doc Rivers isn't their coach anymore. Yeah. Um, but they have, they have a lot of questions. And again, would you like right now, would you given their, their roster and you know, what, what has been pretty good coaching actually for the last, you know, the, for this year, I think and, nurse and has done a very good job with them. No, but I was going to say, like, if you're going to say like what the, like if there was a fourth team, you would shoe in there. Like the Knicks have a shout at being that fourth team, which is you know I, I it, it, it's weird, but the amount they've upgraded their roster and not given a lot of way and shown themselves to be resilient to some injuries and I think have uh, the the Robinson injury almost like revealed like I think Hartenstein is just a better player right now too. than Mitchell Robinson and I think that's sort of revealed some of the best ways for them going forward. And then they add depth and shooting. And, and so, um, yeah, it's, I, and, and here we are. Bing bong. <laughs> bing bong, bing bong indeed. Well, thank you, my friend, for taking the time. Thanks a lot, Danny. Thanks again to Seth Partno for taking the time to come on. You can read his excellent work at The Athletic, and you can also read his nerd noshes at Dunked on Prime, which is a really fun thing that we have included. He goes on a lot of different directions, and I, I truly do love reading them. If you want to support the show, there are a lot of different ways you can do it. You can subscribe, download every episode. That is great, whatever podcast player you use. And if Real GM Radio is not in a podcast player that you want it to be, let me know and I will pass it along and hopefully we can make that happen. And we've done that over the years, a number of different places. And you can also help other people find the show that is through leaving a rating and review, word of mouth, social media, however you want to do it. And then the single most important thing you can do for this podcast and any other that has them is to check out our sponsors for this episode. That is FanDuel. FanDuel.com slash Boston. New customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins, which is a very cool promotion that they're doing right now. You can also check out my other work, Dunked On and Dunked On Prime, which of course includes some of Seth's excellent work that's going strong. We do salary sheets and everything else, and there's lots of great stuff there. Nate and I are taking it a little bit lighter for the week after the deadline for the All-Star break because it's one of the few breaks that we truly get during the season, but still lots of great content available there. Also, written work at The Athletic. I have a piece coming out on Saturday about where things stand for the 24 offseason. So you can check that out. And then I, I wrote before the deadline on a couple of different topics. You can you can check that, of course. Excellent work from a lot of other wonderful people, some of whom are on Real GM Radio at times as well. 
And then the NBA strategy stream will be back after the break. We will be back. I think it's Monday, the Monday, February twenty second, or something in that range. Um, we'll be, we're still working on our our schedule because as things shifted around due to the trade deadline and injuries, we're working through that. And if you have any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com is the way to get to me. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. That is an absolute promise. I don't always get back to people. I'm not, admittedly, not the greatest on that. But reading it, that's why I consider it feedback. It is very important to me. So that is all for now. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.